Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Salut tous mes belles gays et mes beaux lesos. C'est Matthew Mitchum et vous écoutez à Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Been There, Done That on Joy 94.9. In the studio that today we have Phil. Hello. Hello. Oh, you you are here? I'm, hang on, yes. <laughs> I just had to check. <laughs> How did you check? Well, I asked myself, am I anywhere else? And I said no, so I must be here. <laughs> and Gordon, are you here? Oh, no, this is a photographic facsimile of me sitting behind the, um, the desk here. Yeah. So that's me. Yeah, I'm here. Cardboard cutout. Cardboard cutout, yes. <laughs> As we know, this show is produced live before a recorded audience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. Thanks very much for being with us on this Our History program. Sometimes we have lots of gay history items, but today I think we'll be having a fair bit of gay content, gay stories, gay events, uh, gay people, and... There might be the odd straight person in there as well, but we won't hold that against them. No, don't. No. (laughs) But I tell you Um, what, talking about gay people, Sunday was the Pride March. And how was that for you, Gordon? Oh, it was wonderful. I I always enjoy Pride March. I think it's a great way to represent your community. I was there and there was a big mob of peoples walking. Well, we carried the banners. We did, we did. We, you we, and I. You and I and, and gas Gary. Man. The gas man. We, we carried the banners out the front. You were the flower girls. <laughs> <laughs> but we were midway through the parade and there was lots of people ahead of us. We didn't actually get to see all of them because we were in the paddock beforehand just setting up and we had to wait our turn. But when you looked behind you where we were standing, there were hundreds of thousands of people standing sort of at the back of us, well down the back. And the whole thing ran for over two and a half hours or two and a quarter hours or something Did like it? that. Wow. Yeah, because I was listening to the as I was driving home, and David and Sue did a wonderful job, and the and Gabe and the other Tim on the on the outside broadcast. They were down in the with the crowd talking to people, and it was absolutely wonderful um, show that Joy put on, telling everybody what it was like. And Phil, did you listen to us? I was listening at home, actually in my car. Yes. Because for some reason the Weather Bureau keep giving us stinking hot Sundays to have the parade on. <laughs> <laughs> and my knees weren't going to do that walk. So no. But no I quite enjoyed enough. the broadcast. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed this summer is the smell of smoke. And I've had to, a couple of times, use my asthma pump when I go to bed so that I don't have any... Mm. Uh, restrictions with my breathing because of the smoke, the smell of smoke. Mm. And there's been no fires nearby to where I live. And I think, oh, you know, there's bushfires happening. 
just like this floods happening. I'm high and dry and I'm not being smoked or burnt out. And I don't think I have a real feeling for what it would be like to be in the fires. I think it must be bloody awful, quite frankly. It, it just You couldn't imagine anything worse than having a fire bearing down on you like that and wondering whether your house is going to survive or whether you're going to survive. And it's, you've just got to appreciate the fact of the... The people that go in there to try to get the things out, which is the which is the hard part, I think. But the scale of it would be scary because, as individuals, we might have seen a house fire, yeah, or even a, a grass fire or something. But when you've got what really becomes a fire storm, mm. which is a thing that's got a life of its own, that yeah. must be just terrifying. And the thousands of hectares of land that has been burnt already, which is. Well, the, the, um, a lot of the trees will regrow because that's what they have to have to be um, to regrow again in the Australian continent. But it's an awful thing. It just it must be dreadful because I don't get any smoke because uh, I live down by the bay and we always seem to have a bit of a breeze coming off the bay, which is yeah. blowing, blowing the other way, you know. But when you look at the, the force within a fire or a flood, you think... Man is insignificant. Oh, nature takes its thing, doesn't it? We're visitors here. We are visitors, but we can affect what is happening or how nature presents itself by damming rivers and doing those sorts of things uh, and by affecting the planet's climate. But when she gets cross and cranky with us, nature lets us know who's boss. Well, they're talking about rivers. They've had to release all the water out of the dam that's on the Ross River up in Townsville. Because the it's two and a half times its right amount of water. I didn't quite things. understand it. it was I, if it was two and a half times, it'd be the capacity be up and overflowing. Yeah, the gates it? would see, seem to be irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I guess it just floods further back. Further back up the up the river. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's just. But the best one of the best parts about all that is that a lot of the farmers that haven't had rain for yonks are getting flooded. Oh yes, out in the back we're blocks. Out in the back blocks, which is very good. They they're dancing. They they're they're having a great time because they get they've got water again, which is wonderful. Well, I heard a report this morning that um, the the schools are closed out in these desert areas, and the kids don't know what to do because they've never been locked up inside out of the rain before. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that's never happened. Yeah. Well, some of them, if they're, say, 10 years old, when they haven't had rain out that way for 10 years. Yeah, or what's that water coming out of the sky, Dad? What is it? <laughs> it's interesting to see that there are some, talking about fires, they're now talking about doing what the indigenous population did and burn at the in areas the way they controlled what was burnt. You know? Yeah. Uh, in spring and in late autumn, when the rains have already started creating some new, clean, fresh growth, it's controlled management. And uh, Australian Indigenous peoples have gone overseas and seen what other native populations are doing with their lands in similar situations. But they are light years ahead in the land management yeah, here in Australia. Yeah, the um, Native Americans, they do a burning thing too mm. with a lot of their places as well. So No, well, apparently there is a, a move afoot to allow... The local Aboriginal land councils in central Victoria to return to what we call cultural burning mm. in the hope of uh, revitalising the land. Chris, I've been thinking about that since the last 10 years ago when they had that dreadful bushfire which killed 173 people or something. Oh. I thought to myself, why don't they follow the, the First Nations people who knew how to do this? Yeah. 
and not wait for anything to happen. You but know? I don't know whether that fire might have been on such a scale that it mm. could never have been contained by previous gentle burnings. Yeah, but well, it, you yeah. do what's called fuel reduction. Mm. Mm. A lot of these things, like King Lake, was so overgrown. It was beautiful right. to look at. Yeah, yeah. But given the lack of rain, and we had 47 degree temperatures. Yes, yes. And those gum trees just become little cans of gas. That's right. want to burn. Mm. Yep, yep. Mm. 173 killed in the fires. Mm. That is a unreal. Ten years ago, there's lots of people who wouldn't have actually experienced what we saw on TV or heard on radio mm. or felt down here in safe in Melbourne. No. It, it was close, so close, but yet it was still remote until there was people involved who we knew. High-profile media people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm. And that, that really did hit, didn't yes. it? It was like, oh, you know, how could they... Yeah, a friend of mine lost everything. Um, up there and another friend was sitting watching the cricket with the curtains closed to keep the heat out didn't realise the fires were so close and she thought oh I better have a look at this open the curtains there's the fire so so she went like the rat rat up a drain pipe you know Mm. to get out of the place yeah Uh, because it was just so quick so fast and the place will never recover because of the loss of those people yeah houses you can rebuild but people people you can't no no very, very serious. And, of course, the floods in oh, uh, yeah. They're unbelievable, North Queensland they? as well. Yeah. There was some record, I think, over a metre of rain fell in one place in less than 24 hours. That's right. Yeah, I, I a was, metre of rain. Well, we had the storm come through last week, I think last Thursday, and it was quite entertaining, a bit of thunder and lightning, and just a, a short burst of really heavy rain, mm. and that was 11 millimetres. Mm. And they'd had our gutters overflowing and all sorts mm. of things out on the street. That's right. We, yeah. we are in Melbourne built f- to, to accept slow, drizzly rain, mm. not the big dumps of dumps water. Of water. Mm. Those one in 100 year rains that come around every 10 or so years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, because there's nothing, climate change is not happening, Philip. Well, there's, there's no such thing as climate. No, yeah, that's right. We've that's taken right. the denial so far, yeah. there's no such thing as climate. No, that's right, yes. It's just, it's just and those icebergs are doing really nicely, thank you very much. Uh, yes, yes they are. What's and left and, and you've got the vortex coming down in America, which is freezing oh, everything. Well. I was there in Canada when one of those vortexes hit. It was it was minus twenty four in Calgary and it was minus thirty up in Edmonton. Yeah, and it was cold. Yes, you're on Joy. Been there, done that. Gordon, Phil, and Chris. We've got a Sam Smith up. He's going to be singing. Stay with me. We weren't right. going to go anywhere. We weren't either. No. But you stay tuned because when we heard this and a few messages, we'll be speaking with a visiting play producer, producer and director. Mm. Seem to go 
find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. You're on Joy 94.9, been there, done that with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Midsummer is almost over, but the art scene in Melbourne continues. And it continues with a very interesting gay-themed series of stories that have been built into a play called Merciless Gods. Gods without mercy. And Gordon, you're going to be involved in a bit of a Q&A after the showing of this particular play next weekend. Next Saturday, after the matinee performance, there's um, going to be a Q&A session. Myself and Lizzie Craig, who is a out and proud lesbian lady, friend of mine, um, we're going to be doing a Q&A with Christos Tsoukas and um, Tristan Meacham. Wow. And, and this is going to be held in the Arts Centre, Melbourne Fairfax Studio. Fairfax Studio, yep. Wow. And, of course, you can get tickets there from the Arts Centre, but it sounds like it's, it's going to be a little bit rugged. Some of the stories are very, very rugged. It's, uh, it's very a interesting. A series of eight stories mm-hmm. that Christos has written. Out of 24 that he wrote in the book. Out of 24. And this theatre group, the Little Ones Theatre The Little group. Ones, mm, yes. Mm, mm. And they're all gay-themed stories. That's right. And they're going to present them on the stage. That's right. Yes, I'm looking forward to it, quite frankly. We've <laughs> got Stephen Nicolazzo in the studio. You and he are going to have a little bit of a chat. Yes, it's a very interesting one. Joy, 94.9. In the studio, we have Stephen Nicolazzo, who is the producer of, and director, I think, Mm -hmm. of a show called Merciless Gods, and it is appearing at the Arts Centre as of Wednesday the 6th, 6th. and it runs till the 10th. Good. Thank you, Stephen. Now, the reason Stephen's in here, because they're going to be having a bit of a difference with this production, because after the play on the Saturday matinee, they're going to have a Q&A session with um, Tristan Meacham from All the Queen's Men, myself, Gordon, and another lovely lady called Lizzie Craig. And we're going to be up there on stage speaking about what we've just seen at the uh, theatre of, of Merciless Gods. Yes. yes. That's right. Thank you, Merciless Gods. Yeah. How long has this play been in production? We started work on the production from in 2015 and developed it with uh, over three years. And then it premiered in Melbourne in June, July of 2017 and then went to Sydney at Griffin Theatre at the end of 2017. So all up, it's probably almost five years. Oh, so it's been a long time in production yeah. and, and performance. That's yes. good. Now, this is from a book by Christos Tolkis, isn't it? Yes. So it's an adaptation of um, Christos's short story collection, which is entitled Merciless Gods, which is a collection of 14 short stories, but we've selected eight um, of the 14 that have a kind of thematic connection. Um, and it's adapted by um, a playwright named Dan Giovannoni. And it does have a obviously have a, as a gay queer theme. Yeah, it, it's a queer story um, and also one about immigrants in Australia. Um, so it's it's mostly focused on queer immigrant experience um, because a lot of the people that are involved kind of grown up in those contexts. Um, myself, I'm you know a second generation Italian child. Um, the playwright is also that. Uh, my lighting designer is Greek. You know, like um, set designer is from Malaysia. Like, so there is there are a lot of people involved in the work that have had to deal with being the child of immigrants and also having a queer experience. So that's the the focus of a lot of the stories. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, now it, it's it's a um, it's 
So the plays, characters sort of come into one another during the play, or is it just completely separate stories? So, yeah, it's a completely separate stories, but they're all played by the same actors. So there's mm. a cast of six who play about 22 characters over the course of the night. Um, so you meet all of these really interesting people, but you're only with them for like 10 to 15 minutes at a time. Um, so it's a vignette kind of structure. So you'll meet a group of hipsters having taking drugs in the you know early 90s. You'll meet um, a grieving Italian woman um, in Thomastown um, who's watching a porno starring her son. Um, you meet lots of really versatile and interesting people but yeah they're played by just six actors it's interesting the way you you can take characters out of a book Mm. which requires imagination Mm. and put them live on a stage it must be a little bit different yeah and i think it's about how the actor interprets those characters and how this the the play itself has interpreted those stories but i think one of the most important things that we wanted to capture was the internal monologue of those characters because the stories are so rich and so literary and give you real insight into the brains of these kind of morbid and strange people that we wanted to show that. So we've used a form of monologue a lot throughout the play so that you really sink your teeth into these brains and get the same imaginative experience that you get when you're reading a book. That sounds very, very interesting. I'm mm. looking for, really looking forward to seeing this because I have seen it uh, on a video, mm. but um, I, I didn't get anything from it from the video because I like being in the theatre, yeah. watching the live actors doing what they're doing. And especially when it's in an intimate space too and it's quite charged, um, mm. I think this work in particular is really exciting when you're watching it live. Mm. Christos Tolkos has written some very, very interesting books. Mm. Um, Slap, Barracuda. Loaded. Loaded. A few of them. And he's, yeah. and, and he's a very interesting writer. Yeah, he's beautiful. and I like, And I think for me... It was, he was someone I always looked up to as I was developing as an artist and the, having the opportunity to work with him was really amazing, kind of dream come true because I got to get insight into how he creates those worlds on yeah. the page and, and how he, he writes with no judgment of his characters. He always presents people that are amoral or, I don't know, I guess outsiders in society and he does it with this great compassion and beauty um, and so getting to do that on stage live and also getting to see how he works has been really interesting. Yeah, because uh, uh, <clears throat> as I say, he's written some very good books. So. Yeah, they're amazing yeah, books. Amazing books, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to being there because on the uh, and being part of the Q&A with all the Queen's men. So yeah. that's going to be a very, very interesting experience. And terrifying. <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, you know, like um, having a conversation about your work when someone's just seen it is really quite uh, nerve-wracking. But especially if you respect them. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting experience for both of us, yeah, Stephen, because yeah. I've never done one before and if you've never done one before. I've never done it like this before, no. Right. Okay. Sometimes you get, you know, um, someone in the audience kind of putting their hand up going, what's it all about? And you feel like an idiot. And <laughs> um, But this feels like it'll be a really cool conversation. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Look, thanks very much for giving up a little of your time. I know you're very busy because you've been just come up from the theatre, I believe, just yeah. getting bumping in already. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Well, look, thanks very much, Stephen, for coming in. And I look forward to next Saturday afternoon when I'll be sitting up on stage with you. Thanks so much. talking about the play, Merciless Gods. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Well, Gordon, that sounds such an interesting play to go and see. I might have to go and 
stir my own stumps to go and have a look mm. because I've seen a couple of the crits. Uh, the play has already been presented in Sydney. Been in here Tennessee, in Melbourne before. And ha- here mm. in Melbourne. Mm. And there are various comments that have come out. It's an outsider play made by outsiders, but it's brutal, tender, unsentimentally queer, and it demands your attention. Mm. The two-hour production is a brutal and tender examination of queer immigrant experiences in Australia and the, the collection of eight vignettes based on Kriston Sorkis's works shows how humans are prey to the cruel and capricious ancient gods. Mm. Well, there's, there's a lot of work done with the, the ancient gods when you go back into history, that's for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing, I must admit. It's in called Rainbow Review. Rainbow Review? Yes, it's, yeah. it's part of the All the Queen's Men's um, thing that Tristan Meacham runs and um, he we've got this thing going at we go to the Arts Centre every now and mm. again and we watch a play or a ballet or something that's on there and then we sit around and discuss what we've seen and all the rest of it. It's all for the older LGBTI community. Yeah. <laughs> You're on Joy. Been there, done that. Gordon, Phil and Chris. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. You're with Chris Gordon and Phil. Been there, done that, Joy 94.9. On this day in our anniversaries book, we have an opportunity to reflect upon the efforts of some of our politicians. We've got... Uh, an anniversary of Don Dunstan, who died on the 6th of February 1999. And who is he, you might well ask? He was the progressive South Australian Labor Premier uh, for about, oh, I think two terms, didn't he? Two terms. Yeah, I think. And in South Australia. But he followed on from a series of what you would call very conservative politicians was that thomas playford it was it, thomas yes, playford yes, he was he was a real he conservative. was there forever uh, however don dunstan had us in his minds when he started passing some changes to regulations and laws because he was in favor of the the gay community and it did happen that later on in life he acknowledged his own gayness and came out as gay and had a partner and the whole of South Australia knew this, and possibly they knew this before he came out. Chris, he was married, though, wasn't he? Did, oh, he was, He was yes. married, uh, um, I forget her name. To a Chinese lady, yeah, I and believe. But, and, but then his final partner was another Chinese young man. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So he was rather avant-garde because it was the part of the, the uh, coming of consciousness in political life in Australia in about those years. The women's lib had been around. Gay lib was on the move. Uh, There was all sorts of changes to the old guard. And he made sure that that, uh, in South Australia the regulations allowed this to occur. And of course he caused complete consternation when he walked into the parliament in a pair of pink shorts. Of course. Yes. (laughs) And long socks. Why not? You mean Winston Churchill never did that? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Because I get the feeling politicians, other politicians at the time, either wanted to be a Menzies or a Churchill. Yeah, mm. they, were, they were all this... Um, it, was, it was a totally conservative country in those days. We were ruled by conservatives. And it wasn't until Gough Whitlam went in at 72 that things started to change a little. Because with every... That, Robert Menzies was there for 27 years or something, right? Yeah, I think people just assumed, and the Liberal Party certainly had a born-to-rule oh, attitude. they still have. They still well, have. Well, they still do, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, they may not after the Banking Royal Commission comes out because they maybe can't afford to rule anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 Don Dunstan was a was a was a forerunner of more liberalised um, attitudes. attitudes and yes, things, wasn't and, he? And yeah. he brought the population along with him because they had already been exposed to other cultural changes, as I said, women's lib and these sorts of things. Can, can uh, you remember what years he was in Parliament? Because you, you're from in Adelaide. the 70s, yeah. It was in the, in the 70s. But here in Victoria at the moment, we've got a similarly enthused state government who is looking out for our benefit as much as Don Dunstan did in those days. With a lot more going for him now, too, because we are much freer and liberal. We have advanced in our social status, our, our equality battles and mm. things like this. And Dan Andrews, uh, at last weekend's Midsummer March, he indicated that uh, conversion therapy would be banned. Well, so it should be. So it should be. Well, we know that. We know <laughs> well, that. Other yeah. forms of torture have been banned, so let's, let's keep up with that, the times. Yeah. Because you, you cannot alter what's been born into you. It doesn't we, matter what you do. That, you know, but, but, but uh, there's all these religious bodies and these religious cranks well, and things. I, I wouldn't say all No, these. not all of them, yeah. um, Quite a lot of the religious organisations understand what it's like to be trapped in the wrong body. Mm. Mm. But the but the, but the whole thing is that these you've still got these of sort of not the mainstream but off-stream bodies that um, want the conversion therapy. They feel that they have a right to protest against anything and everything, and they feel that being deprived of that opportunity is something that should be fought for. Oh, let them go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But see, they're w working on the assumption that being gay is wrong. Yes, mm. that's right. And it has to be fixed. That's right, yes. Well, they have to be fixed. But the, And the point is that you, can alter, you can't alter anybody's um, natural... Um, well, we learned that from Lady Gaga. Mm. Yeah. I was born that way. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. right. One of the other things that uh, the state government here has done is provide government funds for the Pride Centre that we walked past yes, like, the, the location the in the march. Mm. And that will be a, a signal, a sign, a, a monument of sorts in the character of Melbourne. Yeah, the Pride Centre. I don't think there's any other in um, Australia as a Pride Centre, no. is there? Mm. So this is going to be the first one in Australia, but there are other Pride Centres around the world, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a new one in Barcelona that has just been built and opened, but they f uh, have felt some resistance from the local population uh, when someone went along and vandalised the facade of the building and wrote hate messages mm. and smashed the windows, things like this. But the community rallied around and fixed it, didn't they? They they did. They, mm. There was no support for that sort of behaviour at all. Mm. In Manchester in the UK, they've got a little old GLBT uh, centre, which they've outworn, and it's falling down. They've also received funds from mm. the local government. £450,000. Yes, mm. uh, to rebuild, to get 
get set up again. Yeah, so they, they've got community support there. You would think that that little one, little place they've had has been there for a number of years and the community has probably grown bigger and bigger and it's now it's too small for the community. <laughs> That's right, mm. yeah. And Manchester, probably on Canal Street. Yes, down, down in yes, that area. Yes. Well, look where we're having our Pride Centre down in St Kilda in Fitzroy <laughs> Street. <laughs> and also in the US, Phil, you've got a little story there about an art centre that they're creating. Well, it's an art centre, but it's really a home for the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Are they particularly famous? Oh, they've only been leading the choral movement for about 40 years. They're so pretty good, aren't they, Chris? They've, they've been yeah. around. They, they, they sing well. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so they're, they're building basically a home for the chorus and they'll have rehearsal space and recording studios and all sorts of things they've never had to themselves. But it's also got all sorts of community features. Um, so, you know, the, the public can come in and share the space Mm. A little bit like a, a mini pride centre, but it's basically for the, the chorus and the arts. Yeah, because I understand that the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is financing most of it, along with its uh, the donors for the uh, the Gay Men's Chorus mm. as well. So it's it's not public funds; it's it's com- funded from within the community and allies. I would imagine they make a lot of money out of some of their recordings because they they do a lot of recording. And selling in the selling in America would be um, pretty high. They'd make a fair bit of money out of each recording. And San Francisco has to continue to lead the world in the treatment of our community and just progress in general. Well, it's a bit better than what the the um, president's doing, isn't it? With his oh yes. Now, what what did he end up doing? Oh, well, of course, the, the la- last one was the the exactly the transgender ban mm. in the U.S. military forces. But apparently, a retired general has uh, called the Trump ban a mistake. It's a very big mistake because the people <laughs> that the people that he's banning are people yeah. that have that that are the the, the people that the work backbone. behind the scenes. They, yeah. uh, they but Trump doesn't take advice very well because it makes him think. Yes, well, and that hurts. I tell you what, I finished just just finished, finished watching Fahrenheit eleven nine. I tell you what, oh. golly gosh, that's yes. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some gay artists. Say so no, not artists, gay sports people. All right, we'll combine the two. We'll talk about Mark Tewksbury and Peter Allen, and if we've got a moment and a half, we'll talk about James Dean also. Love Radio? Joy is now on iHeartRadio. Turn us on anywhere. You're on Joy 94.9. Been there, done that with Gordon, Phil and Chris. On the anniversaries book, we've got a couple of important people, gay icons, and we sometimes don't know they're out there fighting the cause for us behind the scenes or actually on the other side of the world even. Our, Our fight has many fronts. It certainly does, Phil, yes. On the 7th of February 1968 was born Mark Tewksbury, a Canadian lad. And he was an Olympic swimmer and he is now a gay activist. Now, being a gay swimmer is not unknown. Not unknown. (laughs) That's why we played Matthew Mitchum at the front of the program. (laughs) You've also Uh, got a great Australian swimmer that's a, a gay icon too. Oh, yes, now... Please remind me. Thorpey. 
Ian Thorpe. Oh, Thorpey? Yes. Has he come Thorpe. out? He's been out for a long, long time. Well, there's, there's others as well. There's others as well, yeah. Right. yeah. But there is a life after swimming. Well, you've got to make a life after swimming, don't you? Because you, do. you spend just so, so many hours in the pool just swimming up and down and up and down and up and down. Well, and like uh, Matthew Mitchum won his gold and basically... That was it. That was it. Nothing else to strive for. Mark Tewkesbury did much the same yeah. in the 1988 Barcelona games. He worked his way up through the teams, mm-hmm. through the team events and the country events, and then made it to get the gold In medal. the 100, 100 metres backstroke. Wow. And he's a very attractive young man, he was, too. Well, they all are. They're built. They're, they're bodies. Well, they're young people, uh, aren't they? They are. They are. They're the height of their... Um, uh, uh, I mean, uh, under my body, there's a very... There's, a, there's, there's another live, slim there. one trying to get out. <laughs> In the chat rooms of old, um, people would describe themselves as having a swimmer's build. Yes, that's and right. And I'd say, well, I can swim. <laughs> I don't have a swimmer's build. But Mark Chicksbury, uh, he he went on to um, become part of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, but he only stayed there for a few years because he, he, he resigned because he didn't like the way they were running things. He thought it was not the right way to do things. And he a man of quite good principles. And he said, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. But he's now a, uh, but, an but activist. I, wa- I wonder if his attitude there was received well by the IOC because of him coming out as gay. I wonder if that lost some of the sting. Uh, however, there's... Well, that's just a query. I'm he did waiting. pay quite a price, though, because in December 1998, he officially came out as gay and subsequently lost a six-figure contract as a motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, gay people can't be motivational. No, no. <laughs> yeah, they, they've got to motivate yourself to, to get on with your life, don't you? He was panellist on the 2003 National Gay and Lesbian Athletics Conference in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and on a panel of LGBT Olympians that also included rower uh, Harriet Metcalf and high jumper Brian Marshall, presumably both of the Canadian teams. There's plenty of gay athletes come out at the Olympics, but it's then their ongoing experiences. Chris, uh, I, w- I would say that there are plenty of gay athletes yeah. everywhere, even in like tennis and football and all the rest of it. They are there. We are everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it, uh, you know, a lot of people don't come out because of the fact that they would probably lose these sponsorships like um, they do if they come mm. out, you know. It's, so it's... Um, yeah. Well, 20 years after he won his gold medal, uh, he was he's part of the announced team on the 2008 summer olympics well that's where the uh, the swimmers would be wouldn't it yeah and in the summer of that year tewksbury was invited by the government of france to speak at the united nations in new york city on the day that a declaration was introduced that affirms gay rights and seeks to decriminalize homosexuality now that is going well beyond your original brief of being a swimmer yeah but he was a very good he's a very good speaker um, he, he, if, you've heard, if you've heard him speak, he is a very, very forthright person as well, which is good for us anyhow, you know. Someone else is having a birthday around about this time. On the 10th of February 1944 is someone who's already sadly died on the 18th of June 19, 1992. Uh, but I'm talking about Peter Allen. 
The boy from Oz. The original boy from Oz. The boy from Oz that goes to Rio. Well, he certainly does. <laughs> we won't be playing any of his music because oh. it's just a little bit over the top these days. Yes. But he was like the genie. You couldn't put him back in the bottle. He was gay to his socks. Yeah, but he didn't come out until a bit later in his career because he and the the, the, the um, Allen Brothers, um, he didn't come out while, they, well, while he was singing in the Allen Brothers, even though the um, producers knew he was gay because they said it would affect their record sales. Yeah. So he kept it hidden until after he'd married Liza Minnelli, I think. Yeah, well, it? I wonder what that was all about. Was that trying to conform to... Yes, to, it was. ...to public concepts, yeah, expectations? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that's what it was. Well, he was a friend of Dorothy. Yes. So why wouldn't you well, marry he, Dorothy's daughter? Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Allen had his own gay married life. Oh, yes, yes. Actually, in the story, Eliza came home one day and found him in bed with a bloke. Oh! So that's when she knew that... Best way to be found. Best way to be found, yes. Peter Allen married Liza Minnelli in, in 1967 and they were divorced seven years later. But he was becoming more comfortable with his homosexuality uh, from the 1970s to 1984. And Allen had a long-time partner, Greg Connell. And Greg Connell was a fashion model from Texas who designed the sound and lighting for Peter Allen's shows mm. and sang back up on the I Go to Rio song. That's right. But uh, Connell died from AIDS-related illness in 1984 in their home in California. And Peter Allen's last performance was on the 26th of January, Australia Day, in 1992 in Australia, and he died in in San Diego in June 92 from an AIDS-related throat cancer. One of the one of the nicest parts of the Boy from Oz the musical is when Peter Allen sings "I Love You, I Honestly Love You" to Gary Connell. Mm. It's just beautiful the way they do it. It's um, and of course we've got to thank Peter Allen for our second. National anthem. anthem. Yes. National anthem. Still called Australia Home. Should be our first. Should well, be. Yeah, could yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Although it doesn't mention death and dying and bombs and war. And, and we're not Gert by sea. Gert's getting Gert. sick of this. Sheep in water holes. No, we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> no. Oh, the song about Andy. 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 Andy, yeah. Andy watched and he waited. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Ah, yes. So. It is a beautiful song, though. It's still called I Australia Home. I heard in the supermarket, I am, you are being played oh yeah and i don't know whether that was part of a, a jingle from the the supermarket bosses mm. to sort of instill some nationalism oh. into the shopping experience yes australia day's already out, gone i want to point out that bruce woodley wrote that yeah and not the seekers yeah they have been getting getting credit for it in recent years and it was long after the seekers had split up so there is a little bit of a, a push there to think more broadly of our national aspirations than in uh, the old Gert song. I think if you spend a bit of time in America and compare their true national pride that they have, and you come here and we'd rather put it off till next week, we really don't care that much. Yeah, so. There are some great anthems, but uh, I don't think Advanced Australia Fair is one of them. And you're listening to Been There, Done That on Joy 94.9. Now, someone else who's had a birthday round about this time on the 7th of February 1955 was a, a fellow that wasn't particularly... Talented. 
<laughs> Drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> we're, we're talking about James Dean, the US film actor and cultural icon. Yep. Now, why was he a cultural icon, do you think? Well, he was so good looking. He was a, a lovely young boy. But he was plain. Oh, no, I thought he was quite attractive, actually. And um, he, uh, he, was, he, he claimed to be bisexual. He didn't claim to be um, completely homosexual, but he did have an affair with one of the other um, young people in one of the shows he was in, one of the films he was in, as it came out in the story. But he was killed in a car accident on his way to well, watch a car race. Car race, yes. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, and only a few weeks earlier, he had recorded a public service announcement. About driving safely. Driving safely. Mm. James Dean sort of had Marlon Brando as his icon. Marlon Brando was surly and sour and oh, but elusive dro- and el- yes. But when he but was he, when he was when he was first starting out, Marlon Brando was the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen. He was built. Oh God, was he a handsome man? But James Dean had that gentle boy image. He was quiet, mm. uh, and you could see that there was a gay guy inside all that. But he had his uniform which was almost the standard uniform of the day. Pale blue jeans, white T-shirt. T-shirt and runners. And runners mm. and... And the pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve. In the sleeve, that's yeah. right, yes. Well, you don't want that anymore. And, and Times have changed. <laughs> and I think that a lot of gay kids of the time would have thought, yeah, he's get going through life and look what a success he's making of it, being in films. But, in fact, he was a troubled soul as well. Oh, yes, quite troubled up. Quite, quite, um, didn't, uh, because he couldn't relate to what he was publicly, I think. That was probably why it was a bit troubled. But anyhow, he made, only made two movies, but he's sort of still well known. Yeah. Well, he died young. Well, he was on the 20, and left a pretty corpse. Wasn't it twenty seven? What, what, what is he in the twenty seven club? I'm not sure. Is he twenty seven? No, not, sure. not quite. I don't think. I think he was a bit twenty one or twenty two when he died, wasn't he? He was pretty. He was pretty. <laughs> pretty. Pretty. He yeah. died in uh, 1955, uh, so he was uh, twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah, he, he missed out on the twenty seven by one. <laughs> well, it wasn't fashionable. It wasn't fashionable then. It's been made fashionable. The others that have gone. Yeah, there you are. It's about time for us to go. So oh, thanks so for, for very much for being with us today. We hope you'll join us next week for some more gay history or straight history and a bit of giggle. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy ninety four point nine. Support Joy ninety four point nine by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.